Brad, for 30 days on Kickstarter, I'm screaming from the heavens, oh, hey, back my book, everywhere, huh? It's social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, my sites, Discord, all sorts of forums and channels and mediums. Oh, hey, yeah. everybody, I got a Kickstarter going on. Hey, Kickstarter. <laughs> you're saying the word Kickstarter so much that you're actually sick of your own voice saying those syllables. To the point where it's lost all meaning. It's like when you yeah. genuinely try to think of how the word knife is spelled. You're like, none of this makes sense, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, you, I'm saying Kickstarter so much that I'm driving myself bonkers. And then the, the Kickstarter ends. Everything's fine. And Brad, we've talked about this before, but I swear to God, Brad, yeah. 15 minutes after the Kickstarter <laughs> ends, I get an email. Oh, how did I miss it? What, oh when did the Kickstarter God. end? I was, I was like, for 30 days, I've oh. been screaming from the rooftop for 30 days. Holy and then 15 moly. minutes after it ends, hey, Dave, just noticed the Kickstarter ended. Oh, uh, Brad, I wanted to put my fist through a wall. You're like, well, what does it take? <laughs> I honestly got it because this I've done I don't know even know nine Kickstarters now uh, you know and you've done your your fair share of Kickstarters yeah. too you know that no matter what you do this happens every time you, you yeah. scream from the rooftops hey over here bang 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 and a drum and uh, and then as soon as the Kickstarter ends someone comes out of the woodwork but I honestly Brad I kind of want to email her back and be like what could I have done differently? Because I genuinely want to learn how could I have gotten you to move within that 30-day period of me screaming it everywhere, literally everywhere that I have access to online. Oh, well, I don't think, I think the answer is there's nothing you could do because it really uh, yeah. isn't about you. It's about, it's, it's about the same thing that makes a Kickstarter skyrocket in the last day of the campaign. And that's yeah. everybody puts all this stuff off to the last minute. And in right. some cases, you know, maybe it's because, you know, payday isn't here yet and they're you're budgeting things out. I get that. Uh, but but in, in many cases, it's just people put things off to the last possible minute and then something comes up and they get distracted and they miss it. That, but, they, yeah. but we've all seen that. Your Kickstarter goes nuts in the last day because you, it's gotten down to this is it. Now there's a time period and, and and then it's going to be gone. And uh, and that's what drives those last-minute sales. And this person was just on the, uh, the wrong end of that. So I don't think there's anything you could do except, I'm going to say it uh, again, uh, that Backer Kit, that's the whole reason that I run Backer Kit on these campaigns is because when that happens, and it happens every time, you shoot that person an email and you say, hey, yeah, no problem. Here's how you do it. I've got the uh, pre-order store all set up. Go and make your uh, make your purchase. Uh, are you not running backer kit on this one? No, I'm not. Uh, I tend to run uh, backer kit on my bigger campaigns, the drive campaigns, because those yeah. go north of a hundred thousand, whereas this one was uh, ended up being thirty eight. And I, it was back of envelope math, but my math was like, well, I don't know that it's worth the time and trouble to set this up for a thirty eight thousand dollar campaign because backer yeah. kit has that flat two hundred dollar fee. It's two yep. percent of campaign funds. And then 5% of funds raised in the backer kit campaign. Or right. you can do a uh, flat $200 fee, 3% of campaign funds, plus 0% of funds raised in backer kit. And uh, something about, and again, back of envelope math, someone can correct me, but I just felt like it was worth doing it for the drive campaigns, not as worth doing it for my smaller campaign, which would probably only have generated $1,000, $2,000 in Kickstarter, yeah. but then also would have taken out 2% of the campaign funds, 5% of the funds raised in backer kit, and a flat $200 fee, you know? 
Yeah. So yeah. So to answer your your not your I don't know if you asked me a question or not there, but yes, no, I'm not using backer kit on this one. Um, and it was mainly because the math didn't feel as strong to me as it would have been for one of my bigger campaigns. Yeah. Now, does that affect how you set up the original Kickstarter campaign itself? Because I, I know when I'm 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 working on building one that I'm going to put on hold till the next uh, turnaround of the year. Uh, oh, and, and let's remember we got some good news to share about that as well. But uh, in terms of my Kickstarter, instead of building all these packages where I say, okay, you can get this book and you can get this book and this and you can get this book, right. using Backerkit allowed me to do a much more streamlined campaign. And then I just say in the campaign uh, uh, text, uh, if you want to add on any of my books and help the pledge along, here's how you do it. You add extra money. You've got a yeah. credit to your account. So I don't have to put all of those other books in my campaign pledges for Kickstarter. That's another benefit. It does. Do you find that that helps you streamline? Or in, in this case, was that not an, was not that not something that you were worried about? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think you're smart that you're if you're going to be using Backerkit, that's the way to do it. Like you keep yeah. your your level simple, like Brad, and then you have, hey, here's easy ways to add on. Um, yeah. In my case, what I tried to do, what Beth and I tried to do in crafting this Kickstarter was designing, I think roughly, let's just say ten, maybe twelve uh, tiers that have different kinds of rewards for different kinds of people. Like I'm the original art collector. All right, well, here's the one specifically for you. I'm a book collector. Okay, well, here's for you. I'm a tchotchke collector. I like all this, the physical stuff. Right. Um, and so we, we, they, crafted it like that and yeah we get a lot of emails during the campaign like hey will this be on backer kit because people want everything that's in tier number six but oh there's one item in tier seven that they would love to get and i just say yes. like no you're gonna have to get tier seven that's the way to do it um and and that's fine it all works out fine um the bigger kicker for this one was shipping internationally which is just getting more and more expensive yeah um and yeah. i can feel my international readers going oh hey i can like brad imagine their hand like hovering over their mouth like <laughs> i'm ready to back here i go oh i'm so excited i love dave's work it brings me genuine joy and oh god that's the shipping to australia no i am not backing this book <laughs> Meanwhile, somewhere in Germany, I, Yavol, I think I will have this anatomy of the authors. That's it. Oh, Gott in Himmel. <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, Brad's German. That was fantastic. I, that brought me joy. What was that? That was great. Yeah, I, I brought it home with that Gott in Himmel thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I wanted to mention one thing before we, we intro the show, which is that uh, I, I realized that I, I sounded like I was being dismissive about like, oh, I hate having to, to scream about Kickstarter for 30 yeah. days in a row from all social media. Because you do. You a little bit start to feel like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, A, I hate myself. I'm talking about yeah. this nonstop. Yeah. But it's something that I would like to reinforce to all of our readers, which is, um, you know what I hate even more than self-promotion, Brad? <laughs> what do you hate even more than self-promotion? Is not having a career. That's what I hate more than that. <laughs> yeah, so, you ain't wrong, buddy. I really like being able to pay my mortgage and be able to cartoon for a living. So yeah. uh, that's a lovely way to get over self-promotion. Yeah, and if it means that somebody's got to scroll past Twitter and, and see an extra Kickstarter tweet from you, uh, that's 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 an okay thing. 
Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna cry into into my soup about it because yeah. only twice a year do I kickstart, and so I'm sorry, Susan and Barry and Greg, if there's one extra tweet that you don't want to read. But yeah, it's really it's the balancing act of like because uh, I see it again and again from uh, yeah. from artists. They mention the Kickstarter once when it launches and once when it's finishing. It's like, well, there's a reason yep. why the Kickstarter ended up where it did, where yeah. it did, and that is you've got to be. Uh, you've got to be out there banging the drum about how how worthwhile your art is and um, having belief in it. And um, so anyway, yeah. that's that, Brad. That's that. Well, no, we got to take a quick pause. Since you mentioned international shipping, let's take a quick pause for a news update because uh, a show or maybe two shows ago, we talked about the United States Postal oh, Service yes. pulling yep. out of the Global Postal Union. And I guess there were some last minute negotiations. The upshot is uh, the USPS is staying in the Global Postal Union. And that is good news for people doing shipping from overseas to the U.S. as well as people shipping uh in the u.s to overseas it's just good news all around so we wanted yep. to pass that along to you the news headline there is bull quietly exits china shop that's what the headline is <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes and only a few fragile uh shattered nerves were left in the uh yeah, in the wake exactly. yeah exactly very nervous shopkeeper eyes bull as it walks out of china shop so yes. um, on that note i'm gonna say hello everybody and welcome to comic lab the show about making comics and making a living from comics i'm brad geiger editor of webcomics.com and cartoonist of evil inc and I'm his friend Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is brought to you by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. So the, the Kickstarter is behind us. The Comic oh, Lab pins are available. Uh, just a reminder, they are over at uh, uh, Brad's site at, um, and over at my site, uh, sheldonstore.com. And Brad, forgive me, I've forgotten the URL <laughs> specifically okay. for your site. NewEvilBook.com. That's right, NewEvilBook.com. Brad, uh, I, that's my bad as a friend. I apologize about that's that. That's quite all right. Uh, but don't forget, you can get both pins as a Patreon backer if you go to Patreon. Get the secret link, and you can get both of them for ten bucks. So that's yeah. that, my friend. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I want. I'm, I'm really excited to get these pins out. And and you, you. I don't know how much we talked about this last show, but the Comic Lab logo pin that was something Dave did as a personal kindness to me because even though. Yeah, the the standing rule is nah. Nobody wants your logo. I love that logo so much, and and and, and it's because I didn't design it. <laughs> uh, and, and I love that logo so much. And I just I wanted those pins in the world so I could have some. My kids are wearing them to school. Their friends are already asking about them. Got to tell you about that. My the kids Wait, are is that asking for real? about it. You're sounding like a bad salesman no, right now. You're like, no, oh, it's generating friendships. All oh, people's <laughs> lives are being changed by this pin. No, no, Alex's friends are all asking about it already at, at, at their high schoolers. So uh, I, I got I got a feeling that uh, uh, I, I, I'm really hopeful about these. I, I'm hoping this is going to be the exception that proves the rule. But uh, but I love that Comic Lab logo pin so much. I can't even tell you. It yeah. did come out awesome. And I, I've made maybe 10 pins now. And I think this is my the first time that I've used silver as the metal. And uh, yeah. no, I don't think that's true. Anyway, regardless, it looks great against colors, uh, the, the Comic Lab colors. So that's very cool. Yeah. And I'm using it as a tie tack when I teach uh, college now. So that's uh, that's an oh, added that's benefit. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's a great super idea. cool. 
Oh, very cool. Well, Brad, let's jump right into this week's first $5 question coming in over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And the question is this, Dave and Brad, I know a lot of comic creators use Kickstarter, haha, Dave Kellett included, as their primary means of crowdfunding for their books and projects. With Kickstarter now apparently firing employees who try to unionize, do you think this will become an issue for not only creators, but also for fans, since comic fans tend to be very socially conscious? If so, where do you see creators turning to as a Kickstarter replacement? Brad, this is like three good questions wrapped up into one. And it's frankly something we've been wanting to talk about uh, for the last week because it's been generating a lot of emails and tweets uh, to us. So, Brad, what are your thoughts? Kickstarter made, frankly, a boneheaded move and tried to shut down a unionization move, a drive. It made a bad move and made a bad move after that and made a number of PR nightmare blunders to follow it up. It's yeah. just been a snowball of horrible decision making from from my armchair view. Uh, so let and there's so much to unpack here. So first, I got to start here about the union issue in general. You guys, uh, I'm sorry, you folks have heard me talk about uh, union uh, stuff in the past because every newspaper I worked for for upwards of 20 years, as I had day jobs, every newspaper was a union paper and. At every uh, union paper that I worked, my pay, my benefits, my working conditions, everything was better than uh, friends of mine who were working the same jobs at other non-union papers. In other words, unions were very, very good to me. So I cannot blame Kickstarter employees for wanting to unionize. Uh, unions, by and large, are very, very good for workers, and and, it, and they're not and, and not in an unfair way. I don't think it's a way for all the workers get to get together and say, "Hey, we're providing the thing that makes this company work. We're we're providing the labor. We're making things happen. We'd like to have some say in how we get paid, how those working conditions are met, and the the nice thing I think about a union is that the owner sits down, does one negotiation, and that floats for everybody. Now you've got a contract, and that applies equally across the board. Uh, I don't have, I don't see where this is a problem, but then again, like I said, I was, I was always on a side that I, I, I benefited a lot from that. So I can't blame Kickstarter employees from wanting to form a union. Uh, and I and I would be a big hypocrite <laughs> if I said that I I, I wasn't going to support that. That would that would be very uh, hypocritical of me. So uh, so it has me k- keeping a very very cautious eye on all of this as it develops. Now a lot of people are immediately going to this whole idea of a Kickstarter boycott. And I, even as a really really strong union supporter, I, I want to caution you against that. For the main reason that the people who are trying to organize that Kickstarter are not calling for a boycott, not yet at least. Yep. And yep. if you start boycotting early, you 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 basically put a weapon in the hands of management that says, "Listen, they're not even unionized already. It's causing problems already. Our you know our numbers are dropping. This is going bad. This is going that's going bad." You give them a cudgel to use against the organizers. So anybody who's thinking about boycotting Kickstarter, uh, follow the union's request. I would say. And hold off 
<laughs> Hold up. Nobody's asking for a boycott just yet. Yeah, it's basically a big cannon shot, don't you think, Brad? You want to save that one for yeah, when things yeah. go really south. Yeah. So it, listen, and that's the whole thing that makes unions work. By the way, it's the same psychology that makes a web ring work. That's the same psychology that makes an online collective work. It's focusing all of your efforts to one goal in a concerted way. And uh, and so, yeah, hold off on that. Now, there's a bigger question to that. And that is what happens. Uh, in other words, are you, Dave Kellett, starting to look for replacements for Kickstarter? Does this have you kind of like, ah, maybe I better come up with a background plan? Uh, the answer is yes. I yeah. mean, the, the the truth of it is, is that all artists, not, well, I don't want to say all artists, but I would say a vast majority of us, Brad, are pro-labor because you'd be kind of a dummy to be uh, uh, like, no, unions are bad. In the sense that, like, uh, you look at the American workplace, Brad, the eight-hour workday, the 40-hour work week, the work yeah. the weekend, healthcare benefits, uh, OSHA being established as the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Right. Um, all the sort of uh, state and governmental uh, things that we frankly take for granted yeah. came about in early 20th century uh, union movements. And so you'd be a dummy as an artist to be like, nah, what Google doesn't have a union. So therefore yeah. the world uh, in this. I mean, frankly, a lot of the ways that corporations have slipped in the latter part of the 20th century is because uh, uh, unions have a little bit lost their punch. And right. so all of the tech companies got started without unions. And so there's a reason why Larry Ellison and Larry Page and Elon Musk and Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates came out billionaires. Right. But their average employees like, well, huh, wait a minute, I, 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 you know, whatever the union complaint might be. Um, and like as uh, certain tech companies don't realize their their stock options for the average employee, they'll they'll realize, oh, wait, maybe I got the short end of the stick here in terms right. of, uh, right. of where things netted out. Um, Anyway, long story short is most every artist would agree that unions net benefit for the U.S. in the 20th century, right? Yeah. Um, and frankly, for world working conditions. Uh, but um, we also uh, are in, in this moment uh, respecting that the the people trying to uh, organize the proto-union in this case have not called for a boycott yet, and that's key. Mm -hmm. um, and we also know that there's not a lot of other good options. Indiegogo is kind of like the one-tooth cousin of of Kickstarter <laughs> that's over there going, ah, you could use Indiegogo. We got, a, we got a one wheel on the truck, and we're ready to help you kickstart your product. I mean, Indiegogo your product. <laughs> hey, so, but listen. Um, but let, oh, oh, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just saying like we we are very. Oh, so what I'm saying is when you ask Dave, are you looking around? I'm actively looking around as in every other cartoonist. There's not a lot of other good options. What we're, what is probably going to happen is this is a slow rolling PR nightmare for Kickstarter. And I'm sure that they realize this. I guarantee you what's going to happen in the next six to 12 months is their board is going to meet. They're going to force changes on the leadership and they're going to say, let this happen. Because Brad, the other thing we haven't mentioned yet is that uh, Kickstarter didn't file as a normal corporation. They filed right. as a benefit corporation. Yes. That's a really that's important part of the story. They filed as a benefit corporation and then, then they're against a union forming. It's like, what the hell are you guys doing? It, yeah. The whole idea for those not familiar is that a benefit corporation normally uh, in in most U.S. history, the 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 one goal of a corporation was to produce value for their shareholders, right? Like yeah. that's above anything else. It's like f everything else, f the environment, f workers. Our one goal is to 
produce profit. And that's amazing in a capitalist sense. Like that's you're just like, go, go, go. But right. it also produces a lot of losers in that system, right? And so a benefit corporation says, well, wait a minute. No, we're also going to take into effect, in, into account our uh, our neighborhood, our employees, our, our environment, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's like 25, maybe 26 states in the U.S. that allow a company to form as a benefit com- corporation. And New York with Kickstarter was one of them. Yeah. And so they filed as a benefit corporation and then they're like, no, no unions. And so what are you doing there? What kind of message are you sending? I don't know what yeah. that is. It's it's tone deaf. Meanwhile, meanwhile, and I know uh, it, probably all of the top executives at Patreon listen to this show. Uh, so I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take a minute and whisper in their little shell-like ears. Listen, you folks have been looking for a pivot for the last several months, right? There was there was right. there was uh, there was membership for merchandise. There's Patreon loans. There's this and that. Patreon is in a unique position, in my opinion. And what do I know? But this is my opinion. Uh, you, I would think that Patreon would be in a unique position to capitalize on this. They've got all the yep. infrastructure all set yep. up. If they if, if they unveiled tomorrow their equivalent for Kickstarter. Uh, and they took a pro worker stance at the same time. They, you know, if they did those two things, everybody who's concerned about this, everybody who's worked up about this, switches to Patreon's uh, crowdfunding service uh, for products immediately, and they uh, strike a huge blow to their number one competitor on the marketplace. Patreon's in a fantastic position to pivot, and I'm really champing at the bit to see if they're going to take the opportunity. Brad, you're a genius. I genuinely did not think about that, that (laughs) Patreon could absolutely... No. Uh, And you know, uh, it it speaks to my stupidity compared to yours is that Kickstarter tried to create a drip. Do you remember when they tried to do drip, Brad, which was their venereal disease version of uh, Patreon? Um, And I I only say VD because that name is terrible. Drip. Why would you call it drip? Who who would call it drip? Oh, there's a million names that are better than drip. Why would you Um, spend a minute trademarking drip? That's re- that's really like one step away from uncomfortable itch. Like that's why would you why would you go with the name Drip? Um, uncomfortable itch has a better logo opportunity though. But anyway, <laughs> scratch that uncomfortable itch. Um, but no, you're right. Patreon uh, could absolutely take advantage of this in the yes. way that Kickstarter at least tried to take advantage of Patreon's earlier stumbles with Drip. Absolutely. And you're right. The user base is there. The 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 basic infrastructure is not so hugely different from Patreon that it would be impossible to set up. I mean, it would take, you know, a, a not insignificant amount of coding, but they could do it. Um, it's certainly better than their merch for membership uh, move and their, yeah. their loan move, which was really stupid. And all of the important stuff is already there in terms of uh, handling uh, international payments, all of that kind yep. of stuff, handling credit cards, yep. all of that complicated stuff. Uh, and I'm not saying coding isn't complicated, but all of that financial stuff and, and the tax, whatever they have to do with value-added tax in the European Union, all of that stuff is there. And all they've got to do is unveil a version of Kickstarter, uh, which I would imagine they could do relatively quickly, put a name on it that's better than Drip, and they are they, they put a huge nail in the coffin of their number one competitor. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's just wait, it's hanging there waiting to happen. Yeah, I, I, you're very smart, Brad. I genuinely did not think of that. And, uh, that really is a great idea on, on page or would be a great idea for Patreon's part to take advantage of this moment. And now I have a better name for it than drip. What's that? We'll just call it Patreon 
Brad's good idea. <laughs> I like how you became school marmy. Patreon. <laughs> Brad's good idea. <laughs> A is for Apple. Brad's good idea. <laughs> now step to the front of the class. No, you know what you call it? you could call it something like Patreon Projects or something like that. You know, oh my I, God! I, I, yes. Yeah, Patreon Projects is actually very good. Yeah, the, the Here's the thing is Patreon has the two key ingredients you need to start a distributed fundraising project system, which is access to a bunch of emails via their users, uh, by their, via their creators, yep. and access to the creators. Like, we already all know and use uh, Patreon, both on the creator side and the user side. So yeah. anyway, yeah. I, okay, anyway. I, but to get back to, Kickstart- to Kickstarter... Um, I really honestly do feel like this is a slow rolling nightmare for them. They are going yeah. to fix this. And I think the board is going to be, remember that in most U S corporations, uh, sh- uh, shareholders and the public can absolutely make it uncomfortable for, um, a board to not act. And so reaching out to Kickstarter at this point is probably the greatest way you can do it. Um, since we're not going to be boycotting, at least now the proto union reminder has asked people not uh, boycott Kickstarter. But the better way probably is to reach out and to let all of Kickstarter's contacts know, hey, I would really uh, appreciate working with a company that's that's pro-labor and pro-worker. Um, right. And to go from there. And listen, before we before we make it all Pollyanna-ish, both Brad and I would admit that uh, unions, like homeowners organizations, or like a school board, or like any other group of humans getting together, there's always going to be corruption, there's problems, it slows things down. Yep. But what we're saying, what we're arguing in, for a union is that on the arc of human history in the 20th century, they have been net value to um, to uh, to workers in the U.S. and around the world. And also, regardless of that, if the workers want to unionize, it doesn't mean squat what Brad and I or you think about the unions. You, they should be allowed to unionize, and that's the short right. version of it. You know, if that's what they want, absolutely. Right, if that's what they want, yeah. As far as self determination, uh, it's it, they should be allowed to figure out what they want to do. So that's that's our take on that. Shall we move on to the next question, Brad? Absolutely. So this question, it comes in from Susan Marks, and she says, Dave and Brad, love you both. This question is for Nosh's dad. Oh, I guess that's God, me. Nosh's um, dad. So, oh, that's pretty cute. I like that. So you woke up one morning with the whole drive of ARC, how I wish I'd wake up with an entire story arc, and I hear how more often than not that you and Beth are frantic at the end of the week to finish the strip. So yeah. how much do you write out in advance for each week or each post or episode? So this is a great question from Susan because... Yeah. There are two competing ideas here. One is that, yes, I do have the full arc for Drive uh, planned out already, and and thankfully I did when I started the story, Um, but I don't have individual strips ready to go, right, Brad? And so you, Brad, once came up with a beautiful metaphor that I really like, uh, that I'd love for you to repeat. It's a visual metaphor. Uh, Do you mind repeating that for everybody? Well, yeah. When we were talking about uh, storytelling a a while ago, I said, "Here's think of it as a a trip from Philadelphia to Chicago. You've got to get from Philly to Chicago. Now, there's obviously you're going to go in a general direction, and you're going to probably take a couple of interstates that are uh, key. But there are probably 354 different ways, 354 different routes that you can take that right. can get you from Philadelphia to Chicago. Some of them are, are going to take longer. Some are going to take shorter. But what your job as a storyteller is to find the one that's most interesting. The most interesting route between Chicago and uh, Philadelphia is the one that you want to search for. So you know the general direction you're going and you know the road that you're on right now. But the turn that's coming up, 
not so much. It, it's going to be which is the more interesting turn. And as long as you're still driving towards Chicago and you still know the main arteries that you're going to hit and the main themes that your story is going to hit, uh, you're going to you're going to create a good story. You don't have to know what's happening 10, 20 miles up the road, but right. you do have to know what's coming up on this next hairpin turn. Yes. Yeah. Boy, that's a great metaphor for a lot of reasons, because just like planning out a trip, you're like, I got to go from Philadelphia to Chicago. And then you go, well, what are the major cities I want to hit along the way? Right. So yeah. then, just like in a story, you go, what are the major plot points I want to hit? And then you noodle down to smaller and smaller towns. And then literally the day of you say like, yeah, I would like to hit up that ice cream place yeah, on, this, <laughs> on this road trip to Chicago. Exactly. You know? Uh, and so, but you don't, you don't go for in your living room in Philadelphia. You don't go on day 17 at three 30. <laughs> I want to hit up that ice cream place. And I don't even know where it is or if it exists yet, but we're going to hit an ice cream place. Right. But, um, so that's what tends to happen with drive is that I know the big picture. I know the medium sized picture and I know most of the major plot points that I want to hit along the way. And I know what's coming up broadly speaking, but, um, week in, week out and day in, day out in terms of what I'm writing it's uh, I'm coming up with the that plot moment, those that dialogue right there on the spot in the same way that you are turning the wheel to take a right turn right there on the spot. You're not planning that weeks in advance. Right. Yeah. And, and it's OK. You know, like you, it's OK to have a, a vague outline. It's OK to have, uh, a, you know, kind of plot ideas that are down the road. But really, like when I'm writing Evil Inc., it's it's what I'm really writing is for the next week or the next two weeks. Uh, I know I know certain broad things are going to happen, but how it's going to happen. A lot of times I'm writing that the week or two before, which, by the way, isn't always the best way to do it, because like I'll tell you at Anytime, the more time you can put between your ideation and your writing and a little bit of editing and a little bit of time to let that idea mature and come back with it uh, to it with uh, clean eyes. Uh, that's that's something that's also very important. But I'd be lying if I told you that I achieved it on a, a, a on a consistent basis all the time. There are times right. that I'm I'm uh, scrambling that thing out the week before it's due, you know? So yeah. uh, it, th th there's, there's also practicality that you have to put in there as well. Well, I, I want to echo what Brad just said in that um, Susan mentioned that Beth and I are frantically finishing up every week at, uh, on Friday at five o'clock with Drive. Yeah. And part of that, as what Brad just said, the deadline is actually key to... Um, changing me from being, oh, I want a perfect version of drive to, oh, I want a good version of drive. Right. And that's okay. That's part of the creative process. Cause you know, that old saying of perfect is the enemy of good. Right. Like in my mind, I have this idealized version of how the story could go, Brad, and it's flowers and the drawing is perfect and the writing is spot on and everyone is, but Sometimes only a deadline can get you to go, you got to get this done, champ, or you're not going to get anything <laughs> yeah. done, you know? Yeah, I tell that to my storytelling students all the time. Perfect is the enemy of done. You can, <laughs> if you, you can, you can, you can uh, you know, work on this all day long, but I, I, at some point you got to be done, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah. And it's kind of a version, Brad, wouldn't you say, of a, of what we were talking about last week with the guy who spent two years and hasn't done a page yet? Yeah. Is that at some point, uh, to, to quote my grandfather, you either have to shit or get off the pot. You yeah. can't, um, you can't, uh, you have to allow the deadline to make the editorial decision of being like, good enough. This is what we're doing. <laughs> we're doing this because it's due it. right now. Uh, um, I can't tell you how useful that 20 years of working in newspapers is to that. I'd made those decisions on a nightly basis for 20 years where it's like, you know what? The clock is ticking. We got to get this thing out of here. And then this is where it's going to be. You know, that it's out. It's done. Next. Yeah. And if you you think that Charles Dickens or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle or any of those people that were writing their stories, uh, you know, in sequences. Yeah. uh, Didn't have that same deadline. I mean, there's a reason why some chapters or some sections of Hounds of the Baskervilles reads beautiful. And some you're like, man, Arthur Conan Doyle is really rushing through this part. Oh, I guess it was a deadline. Um, So uh, uh, it is the nature of art is that uh, deadlines are actually a critical part of the process in terms of forcing you to get done what your your heart knows needs to get done but wants to be perfect so um susan to answer that question uh the reason why friday at 5 p.m we're always cranking it out is because i've been percolating on what i've been writing or what i want to write and there's an idealized socratic ideal version in my mind it's never going to happen so i just have to eventually go all right this is it this is it for the week i'm, I'm drawing this i'm writing this and and that's how we end up and i'm sure yeah. the same thing happens with brad wouldn't you say brad well yeah and in fact just as we bring this topic to a close because i know as we're talking about this we're gonna I, i'm just gonna uh, answer the tweet that we're gonna get uh, in other words well brad you say that deadlines don't matter and you shouldn't hold yourself to a deadline and all that other stuff and and all of that is true in other words, yes, I hold myself to a deadline, uh, but there are certain times when I th- th- that I don't. In other words, uh, last week I didn't update an Evil Inc. I, by the way, I didn't go out and make an announcement that I was not updating Evil Inc. because my readers have so much content they didn't even notice. <laughs> Why would I bring their attention to it? And I'm taking this week off because I came to an end of a chapter. I want to take some time to re- plot out what's happening in the next phase. I'm following kind of a hero's journey thing. So I want to I want to take a look at how those guideposts can direct uh, the next phase of what I'm writing. And I want to take a little bit of time, think it through. Uh, I, I'm taking, I basically, I gave myself a two-week hiatus without even announcing it. Uh, and everything is going to be just fine. There's going to be lots of uh, uh, readers when I come back. Everything's going to pick up right where it left off. I'm not yep. making myself a slave to that deadline. Now, once I start going again, and once I start cranking, it will be my goal and my and my duty to myself to make sure that I've, I'm hitting those updates and, and posting according to my uh, preconceived schedule. Uh, but Uh, it's also not something that isn't something that I can do a manual override on and say, well, hold on. I'm, I'm at the end of a chapter. I'm going to take a couple weeks and, and now really plan out what I'm going to do next because deadlines, although they're important, they're also not the boss of me (laughs) (laughs) for lack of a better word. (laughs) I I like that idea of Brad and his studio. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me deadline. Yeah. You're, you're not going to tell me what to do. <laughs> Just crying in a corner. You're not going to tell me what to do. I can do this on my own. I don't need you. Weep, 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 weep. <laughs> I like the idea that it's a little pig going off. In <laughs> like a Warner Brothers pig running off into the distance. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we'll tell you why you should join us on Patreon. Oh, when you do, you'll get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, no worries. You can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five star and a few kind words. That, and along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, let's talk comics. Well, just a reminder, gang, that this week's show and all of the shows through 2019 are sponsored by the good folks at Wacom over at WACOM, maker of Cintiqs and Intuos products. Brad has two of them in the studio, and I have three, so this is a super appropriate sponsor of Comic Lab, uh, as Wacom is literally what uh, powers uh, Brad making Evil Inc. and myself making uh, Drive over at uh, evil-comic.com and drivecomic.com. So we are super thankful to them for sponsoring the show for the rest of the year, and uh, you can go check them out at WACOM. Om.com. And Bradley J. Geiger, shall I jump into the next question for us, my friend? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, we need to talk about this. Hey, is this kind of like, I, now I've got to keep up with you? You know, I've, Brad has two, I've got three. Does that mean if I get three, you're going to have four? Uh, it, it, it is what that's mean. I, it's a keeping up with the Joneses type <laughs> it's, thing. It's like, an arms, it's like an arms race over here, and I've only got two arms. I can only draw so much. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, having the third centique, Brad, is like, the, is like a sign of middle age getting a uh, convertible. I'm like, no, I need, I need four. I need five. <laughs> your, your five third c- c- centiques. <laughs> Your third Cintiq is red with chrome fish. <laughs> it, it has a top that can drop down. Exactly. It's really nice. <laughs> I wondered about that because there was a button on the side and I hit it and it went, do, 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 And I'm like, what, what, what is that? <laughs> yeah. So well, as soon as you get that next antique, I'm, I'm, I am going to have to go out and get a, get another one. So I'm going to have to go up to four. Yeah, so yes. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you get next. <laughs> well, thank you for embarrassing me publicly. I appreciate that in our friendships. So this question goes out. It's from, uh, from Yana and, uh, Yana asks, Hey, Dave and Brad, I just finished listening to your one, three, five show, which was really interesting and insightful during the episode. You spent a bit of time talking about what to do with your considerable archives. And I was wondering if you guys have ever looked at selling your comics through Amazon Kindle via Comixology Submit. I've listened in the past to an audiobook by some indie authors called Write, Publish, Repeat, and their sales are basically all ebooks. I think the Comixology website leaves a lot to be desired, but getting into the Amazon This Customer Also Bought listings and having both services sell your book, your next book in the series at the end of the book yeah. seems like attractive offerings to me. Love to hear your thoughts. So, Brad, I feel like you are better suited to answer this one off the bat if you don't mind me throwing you under the bus. What are your <laughs> thoughts about Comixology and jumping into the Amazon system and ecosystem? Ecos- boy jumping into the amazon ecosystem i got there yeah you got there took you a little while the the amazon (laughs) ecosystem for ebooks right um, i get what you're doing there ladies and gentlemen brad geiger (laughs) brad geiger getting us there 
very good. You haven't used that one in a while. I have not. So I've had a lot of experience with both of those things, uh, Comixology and Amazon uh, uh, Kindle Direct. And uh, I'm not really crazy about either one of them. Uh, Comixology, the interface is really difficult to upload a new book. Uh, and they are... I, I, I find a lot of my books gets bounced back because of these weird kind of like, well, it doesn't ascribe to this rule or it doesn't it, like in terms of like a number of pixels for margins and stuff like this. And there, I'm getting a lot of uh, books denied because of stuff that I just don't think <laughs> I'm all for quality <laughs> control, but it, it, they seem that like they were taking it to a point that was for me to fix my books to fit what they uh, considered to be their template uh, for the amount of money that I was getting back, which is another important consideration here, uh, which was uh, almost negligible. For the amount of money, the return on investment for me to uh, go through and, and fit what Comixology wanted, uh, it was just too much. I, I was getting, it was a lot of work and it was pennies in terms of what I was making. So I just, I couldn't, I had a bunch of my early stuff put out there. I could not uh, justify uh, any further because I wasn't making squat. And Amazon uh, uh, Kindle publishing, their direct publishing through Kindle. Now for their, for, they will allow you to put a regular PDF up. And all my stuff is PDFs because I mean, that's, that's, what an ebook basically is in a market dominated by the iPad, it's it's going to be the PDF. Uh, right. For a Kindle, they prefer a, an EPUB that uh, an EPUB file that is formatted for their Kindle reader. And again, doing all of that work to reformat uh, these things that I have already set up for uh, PDFs. Uh, I've got them in InDesign documents. I've tried a number of different ways that are supposed to just plug, uh, just they're supposed to plug and play and you're supposed to just be able to spit out this perfect uh, EPUB. None of them have worked <laughs> and none of them have, and, and maybe I just haven't figured out how to make them work. That is a possibility. I, I'm not uh, the end all be all when it comes to these issues. But uh, for me, I wasn't able to make them work. And again, I wasn't making squat on any of this stuff that in terms of significant money, it wasn't worth the amount of time that I was putting in on it. But I'm a huge, huge fan of e-comics. And that's because I don't use either one of those. I use Gumroad which has been, ama it's amazingly easy to put up a new book. And uh, it's it, in terms of their, uh, their sales interface, when you put a book up, it becomes super easy for your people on your website to buy that book and to get that book. And by the way, not for nothing, you can very easily set up a discount code and then give that ebook to your Patreon backers at a 100% discount, serve them a, a little bonus reward, which is always nice, uh, which is, by the way, something I just did last week. And I did it within uh, 10 minutes 
uh, tops. I had that thing up, served to my readers, discount code, boom, everybody's downloading it who wants it. And the return on investment is favorable because the money I'm making, it, it makes the little bit amount of, money, of time that I'm putting into that uh, worthwhile. And then that's going to go out and uh, also be something that I can incorporate into Kickstarters very easily and uh, Patreon, like I said. So I use Gumroad. I I strongly, strongly suggest Gumroad. And I use another one that may be a little bit uh, just because of my circumstances. I'm a huge fan of a site called Drive-Thru Comics. Through is spelled T-H-R-U. So it's drivethroughcomics.com. And they, by the way, allow not safe for work comics. And as you might be uh, uh, not so surprised to find out. That means that I can put my After Dark stuff up there, my Courting Disaster stuff, my sketchbooks. I can put all of that on drive Through Comics. They handle not safe for work material. And my stuff does, and again, their interface isn't quite as good as Gumroad, but it's way better than Comixology or Amazon uh, ever came close to being. And they, I can upload my stuff in slightly longer than it took on Gumroad, and I can be uh, for sale up there, and I get really great return on investment at Drive Through Comics. So my, the answer to my question, or the answer to your question, <laughs> so the answer to my question is, what have I said here? Uh, so the answer to your question is, yeah, I, I'm a big, big proponent of e-comics. I just don't, I've not found any usefulness in being involved with either Comixology or Amazon Direct. What do you think, Dave? Well, uh, chiming in on Comixology first, uh, yeah. I, I have to say that I have not used it, but I am surprised to hear uh, your reaction that the interface is miserable, and I'll tell you why. Oh. Uh, Beth and I have started uploading my physical books into Amazon system for me to sell through Amazon uh, using yeah. Amazon Advantage. And I have to say, and I, maybe I've mentioned this on the show, I was amazed, literally dumbstruck, at how this uh, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 uh, company yeah. uh, has such a terrible back end. Like, it was so clearly designed by engineers for engineers with no thought about how a third party would use it. And yeah. um, the upload features are terrible. It's kind of like using a site from 1999 that was designed just for engineers, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh, it's, it's horrible. It's really weird that that a company that big, I mean, I it, 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 it begs to questions one do they not want to encourage individuals to upload through amazon which i suspect right. would not be the case i would think that they would want that but maybe they don't um and then the other thing is what does that say about their um their margins that with that kind of stuff that they're not making it uh pretty you know what i mean like it's right maybe or, even or, for them it's not a big aspect of their business so they're like eh, we'll get to that someday i don't know yeah exactly um so anyway uh However, like Brad, I also sell ebooks. I sell them through Gumroad and through my own website uh, uh, store, uh, SheldonStore.com. Mm-hmm. There's an entire section that says just ebooks. And I use Shopify's system for uh, selling ebooks there. It's very convenient, very easy. Um, but I use both Gumroad and Shopify. And um, I, I mean, I guess I would be open to, like Brad, open to using a Comixology or an Amazon system. I just yeah. have found that it's not worth the trouble, per se, um, with because uh, it's already not a huge money spinner for me, even through Shopify or Gumroad, I'll be honest. Right. And so to then go through and to redo my 15 books through EPUB and making sure that it meets whatever weird standard they have for EPUB. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just I haven't been enticed yet, if that makes sense. Um, so. 
that's that. But I think your thinking is in the right place in that we should always be looking and hunting for new venues to get our work out there. And um, so, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. very open to trying it, uh, especially if it becomes a little bit easier down the road. It's just not there for me yet, personally. Yeah. And what Yana was saying is she heard different authors. And I and, and if I understood the question right, it was more, you know, they were doing more novels and stuff like that. If I was doing prose, if I was doing just a straight up novel, uh, absolutely, I would be putting the time into Amazon Kindle Direct. I, I, that would be the place to be as far as I would be concerned. Right. Uh, but for graphic novels, I, again, in all things, it comes down to return on investment. And the investment in time was just way more than I was willing uh, for the little bit that I was getting back in money. Yeah, and and to to just put a button on Yana's great question, um, uh, they also asked about how uh, Amazon has that great, hey, if you like this, you might like that kind of a feature. Yeah, And yeah, yeah. no argument. That is an amazing uh, uh, system to tie into. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get Sheldon books on there is because I wanted anybody who who bought a, a calendar about pugs might get a recommendation for, hey, if you like pugs right, and you like right. the visuals of pugs, you might like this pug book. And so uh, thus far, the network effect hasn't really started to happen for me yet, but it's a slowly uh, increasing sales uh, on Amazon. So we'll see. Um, but uh, but yeah, to answer your question, though, Yana, that does seem like an advantageous uh, thing to tap into. So yes. Absolutely. But, Bradley J, let's jump into the next question. This one uh, goes to um, uh, comes from uh, Kelly, and Kelly asks: uh, Dave's mentioned before about the moving goalposts for success as your career develops. This can create imposter syndrome or make you feel unaccomplished. How do you maintain satisfaction after achieving your goals? Brad Geiger, let me ask you this first: Do you mind giving us a quick definition of imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is when you're it, it, you feel like an imposter. In other words, you're like, well, I'm a fake, I'm a phony, I'm a fraud. Everybody else is valid and genuine. They know what they're doing. They're effective at what they're doing. They're out there living their best life. I'm over here, and all it's going to take is one person who notices that, <laughs> that I've been faking it, and uh, it's all going to come crumbling down. That's imposter syndrome. Right, right. It's also it's also Brad Geiger on the evening of prom. <laughs> if you if you want a little shorthand, <laughs> this is this is a young Brad Geiger on prom. Prom night uh, is basically imposter syndrome. I was going to say imposter syndrome, or as I like to call it, a Tuesday. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you? But but I mean, she's talking about something that you uh, brought up. How do you deal with this? I, I how do you, how do you personally, Dave, uh, uh, maintain satisfaction? <laughs> satisfaction i mean i can tell you how i maintain satisfaction it starts with a barry white album (laughs) that's you just turn it like you turn you put your elbow on the table dave how's your marriage how's your marriage going dave (laughs) is it a white wine night or a red wine night let me let me ask you that well, that is the answer to how do you maintain satisfaction? A half a bottle of wine does <laughs> That's right. wonders. That's, That's it. Right. It, it, it. It's a, it's amazing how that that greases the wheels. Um, no, so um, how do I? How do you maintain satisfaction with shifting yeah. goalposts? Well, okay, Kelly. So as you heard a week or two ago, when Brad and I did the one, three, and five year goals, yeah. Um, the idea there, uh, I would think, is that those are not fixed goals in the sense that like. 
I'm not stuck with those goals as my be-all, end-alls. As I get up to a year, my new one-year goals shift and they change and they modulate yeah. as needed, right? And so um, that's part of life. That's not surprising. But I say that to mention that um, part of uh, maintaining a sense of satisfaction and that you're doing your best is to also modulate your expectations for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in general, happiness um, comes from, uh, frankly, uh, reasonable expectations that are happily met. So that's one. Uh, two, uh, giving as much as you take in life, and that's two. Mm -hmm. um, and and then three, um, uh, actively working to better yourself no matter what state you're in. And so I think uh, Brad very wisely last week had said something like, all, all you need to do is look back any five-year period and be like, oh, I'm much better than I was five years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And so one of the reasons why I personally like to do Comic Lab, and I think I can speak for both of us on this, mm -hmm. is that it's fun to give back what we know. Lord knows we are not the most perfect vessels of information. No. But it is fun that with a few more years on us, we can maybe help out a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old yeah. or, or somebody else that's even our, our age or older just with a little bit of tips and tricks that we might save them time on. So that that is tremendously satisfying in an art career to give back. And in general to try to give more than you take in this life, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's very satisfying. And frankly, as artists, you already know that as well, um, that, Anna Kelly, that you know that when you're giving your art into the world, that's just making the artist tremendously satisfying. Yeah. And then um, I think, frankly, um, trying to cultivate a sense of being kind to yourself, like, boy, I'm doing my best, and I, I, I guess I'm doing all right. I, I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> that's that's how you keep the demons at bay with imposter syndrome, because Lord knows I had it just last week where I felt like, oh, boy, I'm useless. I'm worthless. I'm no good at all. Um, and so it legit happens to all of us all the time. Um, and the way you do it is you go, I, listen, I'm doing my best. Uh, there's not much more I could be doing. I, I, I don't know who, who could criticize me for this. So uh, why not? Why not be kind to myself? You know, yeah. do you think, Brad? Yeah. Well, here's another thing as I because really what we're talking about is all between the ears. It's it's a mindset issue. And for me, my mindset has always been in the thrill of uh, uh, working towards a goal. My thrill has always been in the fight, in the battle, in the achieving of a goal. What do I have to do? What do I have to get into position? I got to get this thing over here. Now I've got to work up towards here. Then I've got to get this over there. The, achieving the goal, when I look back on the, on the very few goals I've actually achieved, uh, when I, but when I look at, back at those moments, the moment that I achieved the goal is actually not as exciting. It's kind of like, oh, Okay, well, I've done that. On to the next thing, you know. It's it, it. I've never been that excited over a goal. Not as excited as I've been in that fight towards achieving the goal. In other words, I've always been much more focused on the journey yeah. and not the destination. The destinations have been great. They've been nice. They've been fine. I've enjoyed the destinations, but the journeys have been an adventure. And I live for those adventures. I live for the fight of, of, of that goal. So for me, I don't know the way my mindset has been that I've, I've necessarily dealt with this because uh, the shifting goalpost was never a problem. It meant I had a new goal and that meant there was a new fight and I live for that. So yeah. I, 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 I think that mindset has kind of protected me a little bit in that regard, because I, I like the fight. Yeah, Brad, you put that really well. It's the fight, it's not the journey. Because frankly, yeah. 
when Brad and I have gotten some kind of accolade or award or gotten some book out, it's lovely. And yeah. for a day you go, oh boy, look at this. This is great. Oh yeah. boy. Yeah. Everything's, oh boy, Brad Geiger, I'm great. And then, and then the next day you go, huh, well, back to it. But if you, <laughs> if yeah. you enjoy the back to it, that's yeah. the part that's super satisfying. Um, and uh, not to get not to get dark for a second, but one of the reasons, Brad, I've talked about this before. One of the reasons why I think I'm not afraid of death per se is that I've liked the journey that I've taken, and I'm yeah. I'm broadly speaking proud of all the steps that I've taken, even the failures and the mess ups, because I've liked the fight. The fight has been fun. It's not like some journey that I'm trying to get to. That before I die, I need seven awards and I need forty eight books, and if I don't right. get that, then I failed. Like right now, if I drop dead tomorrow morning you should go to bed knowing that i lived a satisfied life like i was i enjoyed the fight of this life and the and frankly the joys of this life maybe fight is not the right word yeah um i enjoy i i enjoyed the journey that's the better way to say it is that um uh so if you if you go to bed every night or every weekend and you go like this was a good week i did what i could uh did i get everything off my to-do list no but i i did what i could and and i enjoyed it and i was good to people then that's that's the way to live a satisfied life i think yeah and it's also a way to forgive yourself for those times that you haven't quite met a goal or the times that you uh, came across and, and it was like, nah, I could have I done better. I could have been better in that moment. Uh, that yeah. mindset also says, guess what? You get a chance to do this tomorrow. <laughs> you know, you have a yeah. chance tomorrow. You, there's always going to be a tomorrow. There's always going to be another journey, another another uh, destination. And uh, this is an ongoing thing. Uh, I, I think being too goal oriented can be detrimental because <laughs> you know, the, the worst thing uh, can happen often does. You reach your goal. And then what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, be journey oriented instead. Love that journey. That's that's where it's at. That's my opinion, at least. Let me I'm just sort of curious about this, Brad, yeah. and maybe there's no good answer to this. But let me ask you this. So uh, Kelly had asked that, uh, you know, the, the goalpost move and yeah. you um, you might feel unaccomplished even after you've accomplished something great. Have you ever had it where uh, and this is kind of a half form question where your life feels worse after you've achieved a goal, where you're like, it, it's it's gotten markedly worse? Have you ever had that happen? <laughs> well, in a, in a roundabout way, yeah, when I quit my day job, uh, because I, I I thought, you know, the, the birds were going to land on my fingers and, and uh, music was going to play when I walked into my studio that next day. And really what it meant was I had to make uh, my mortgage payment at the end of the month and uh, I, there was going to be no paycheck hitting regularly to make that happen. And immediately after that, the ad market uh, took a huge decline and I had to recreate everything about the webcomics business model that I had kind of cobbled together over the previous 12 years. So I, that was one very clear example of how <laughs> reaching yeah. a goal was like, nah, maybe this isn't everything it's cracked up to be. And it was stressful and it was it was uh, it, it was a very, very difficult uh, time. It got me to a much better place. I, I I wouldn't trade that for anything, but yeah, that was an example of uh, maybe in a not unrelated way. Be careful what you wish for; you just might get it. No, I think that's super related, uh, especially. And thank you for answering that. Uh, yeah. I, I wasn't sure what you were going to say when I asked that question, but um, one of the reasons why I think that's such a helpful answer, and how Brad today would deal with that same moment differently, is that if you remember when I first started saying like, how do you achieve happiness? Part of it is reasonable expectations and frankly, yeah. low expectations. Um, you can be very happy if you have low expectations for, oh, boy, and that's Mike, not to say I, you I'm don't have you desires. What? 
That's not saying you don't have goals. That's not saying you don't have high aspirations. It's just your expectations are reasonable. And so you're like, oh, well, I ordered a, a steak, but this this peanut butter jelly sandwich is fine. And and, and then you're happy again. You know, like yeah. you, uh, uh, it's, oh. it's a sense of like being great. It's a gratefulness that you're cultivating. And so uh, Brad in that moment expected when he quit the job, his day job, that it would have been like, oh, rainbows everywhere and butterflies. What his reasonable expectation would have been and what I think he has since come to be at peace with is that it's more time to cartoon. It's more time with family. It's more time focused on the things that he loves to do. And I think that's a reasonable expectation. Yeah, I, it, that that really struck a chord with me, Dave. You can be very happy with low expectations. My wife has that needle pointed on a pillow. <laughs> and now we come full circle on how do you maintain satisfaction? <laughs> she's been very happy with low expectations. <laughs> she, she's she's just like, I, it takes very little in my life oh, to... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Oh, man. Oh, God, Brad, that's funny. She's got it needle pointed. Uh, No, I guess what I'm saying is, like, nobody has a stronger drive than I do. No, nor a stronger Sheldon. Uh, Nor a stronger Sheldon. God God damn it. I got the joke. I just didn't laugh at it. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No one has a stronger drive. Go ahead. What I'm saying is that no, it, it, the the difference is not um, what makes you work hard. Like your expectations don't make you work hard. You should right. have absolutely a huge drive and huge aspirations and huge goals. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like I have huge goals for my life, but I'm saying your expectations though, yeah. if you keep them managed and reasonable, you will find happiness and satisfaction much easier to achieve, achieve in life than if you're like, Brad, if I don't have a gold car by the time I'm 50, then I failed and I should put a bullet in my head. You know, that kind of thing. Like that kind of expectation only leads to unhappiness. So have reasonable, have, have sky's the limit goals and aspirations, but have reasonable expectations. And I think that's the way to achieve satisfaction to answer that question. I think you're absolutely right. So listen, do you want to do one more question? Not only do I want to, I'm expecting it, Brad. Oh, well, <laughs> well <laughs> you'd better manage your expectations. I'm only going to read <laughs> half the question. Uh, so listen, our, our, our Patreon backer, Josh, writes, Sometimes I see readers discussing my story or characters, and sometimes it's hard to resist the urge to correct misinterpretations. Am I right to simply lurk and observe or should creators be encouraged to engage with fans in discussions about their work? Dave, I've seen your Patreon uh, backers discussing Drive, for example, and and you've got some super charged up readers that are getting down to a granular level about those plot lines. Uh, it's certainly some of them must be off the beaten path from time to time. Do you step in and correct them? Uh, so... This is a great question, by yeah. the way, Josh. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm really intri- intrigued by this. Um, I will be honest that I have done all of the above. Literally, any way you can handle this, I have tried it over 20 years of cartooning. I've I've stayed aloof and not answered any questions. I've been super involved and tried to course correct people and frankly made it an unhappy event for them and what they thought was a happy story and I changed their mind about it. And then, uh, Or I've done all of the middle ground uh, stuff in terms of lightly steering them towards what I think should be the narrative answer. Uh, and, um, frankly, it's a kind of a play it by ear scenario, but, um, unless it's really going to hurt their reading of it, I tend not to course correct people, I think, Brad. Um, but uh, like if they're really going off uh, the wrong angle on this or, um, 
Uh, or frankly, if their public reading of the comic is making other people start to misinterpret it, then I might course correct it because then it's becoming a communal event. You know, the yeah. commentary itself is becoming a communal event. It's starting to get but out also, of control. Yeah. More than anything else, what I use misinterpretation and misreadings as is a course correction for me as an author to make sure that I'm writing in drawing in the most clarified way that I can to get my message across right. that this is where the story is going. Um, now, uh, there's also sometimes uh, uh, both intended and unintended misdirection in a story because as an author, I'm intending the story to have misdirection in it. Um, and sometimes there's an unintended misdirected reading that people think, oh, Dave's trying to fool us. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just, that's what it means. I'm not trying yeah. to fool you. That's, that, that is what it is. Um, so, but frankly, that ambiguity is what makes it fun to read a story. If you knew what was going to be uh, coming down the pipe on the next page for Brad's next chapter, yeah. it's not so fun to read that chapter. You know, it's why people don't like spoilers. So I let people work it out on their own. Uh, for the most part, I would think, Brad. Let's well, let's hear what you do. What do you do with this, Brad? Well, there, uh, this 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 has this is a great topic because it has so many permutations. First of all, it, it brings us back to that topic of the I don't get it. Right? If you write something humorous, and the uh, the the response is I don't get it, uh, and, and then the question becomes, do you explain your joke? And I always uh, refuse to explain a joke. Yeah, My own yeah, yeah. personal feeling is that. if I wrote a punchline and it didn't land for you, uh, my explaining it is not going to make that joke funny. It, it's going to explain it, but it's not going to, but, but making it, it funny, that's two different things. And uh, I also, having done humor for a certain amount of time, I also know that every joke has a certain percentage built in of I don't get it's in your audience. There's going to be the, 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 the best punchline that Chris Rock or George Carlin or any of those folks, the best punchline they ever delivered had a certain number of people in the audience going, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I don't get caught up in, 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 in that's a, that's a, a singular and momentary failure. I failed with that one audience member on that one occasion and I don't get too wrapped up and I don't get it. But right, bigger right, right, than right. that, when it comes to people, you know, taking a look at your storyline and where is this going and so on and so forth. I, I take the opinion that, that misunderstandings and uh, mis a mistaken assumptions assumptions are a part of the reading experience. In other words, that's part of the mystery that unfolds. Uh, if, if it was all cut and dried, like Dave said, it wouldn't be a very interesting reading experience. And I don't want to rob my readers of that uh, a, a, a moment of, oh, geez, I thought it was going this way and now it's going that way. Uh, it, that's that's something that I want them to have. Now, if it's, if it's something that you can see as as it's coming through that, oh, geez, I've kind of written this scene ambiguously and a certain number of my readers are uh, interpreting it in a way that's a fair interpretation, but it's going to screw things up. Well, that's an indication that you might need to go in and either clean that up or do a little storytelling that ties up that loose end and uh, <laughs> clarifies. But in general, I try to stay as 
far away from discussions of my work as possible, uh, unless it's like the very surface level stuff. Hey, I like that strip or I like that comic. Hey, that's great. Thank you so much. But like, I I find people uh, messaging me on Twitter, asking me very, very super specific questions about stuff in the evil Inc universe that it's never even happened yet and might never happen. And I stay as far away from that as possible because anything that I say can and will be used against me. <laughs> you know, how does the evil Inc. Uh, universe handle an anti-hero such as the Punisher? Uh, I'm not answering that question. I, 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 it's never come up in evil Inc. Uh, really to a significant portion. And if it does, my treatment of that is going to be based on what's best for the story, not based on what I said to this person on Twitter yesterday. Right. Right, So I try to avoid all of that. I try to put the work out, let the work speak for itself. And I I have minimal engagement after that. And and sometimes that's to my detriment, you know, even on Patreon, where I try to be as active as I possibly can, because I really want to give positive reinforcement to that. Sometimes my natural philosophy is just to say, no, I'm going to let that I'm going to let that comment sit. (laughs) I'm not going to get involved in that. Yeah. In a way, Brad, don't you feel like it's like, I'll let you figure it out. Like you, you, you may not get it now. You may not get it a month from now, but hopefully by the end of the story, you'll have figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. That's, that's a part of the enjoyment of a story is figuring it out. And part of it is, uh, well, first of all, I want to say thank you for bringing up explaining a joke because I forgot that that entire chunk of, of of explainers exists in the world, uh, because this question had mainly focused on plot, but, um, boy, explaining a joke is possibly the worst thing you can do because, uh, someone had a really good metaphor once. It's like you could explaining a joke is like dissecting a frog. You can figure out how the frog works, but now you've got a dead frog, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's what explaining a joke is like. I can give you all the mechanics of what the joke should have delivered for you, but if it if in explaining it, it's not going to make you happy. It's right. not going to make uh, it's not going to make me happy. Just, we're just going to end up with a dead joke. So, um, I don't explain jokes usually. When if 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 uh, let's say Greg comes to me and goes, "Hey, Dave, uh, boy, I just did not get today's joke. I I really I don't know what happened, but I just did not get it." I go, "You know what, Greg? No worries. I'll try you again tomorrow." Yeah, and I yeah. don't even I don't even try to explain it. I'm like, no, no worries. And in fact, if it's if the tone is of a, of a certain kind of tone, I'll just take the blame on me. I'll say, "Well, that means that I didn't do my job as a cartoonist. I'm sorry right. about that, Greg. You know that kind of thing." I've done both of those, and they're the I I swear by them. I swear, because it, it, you you make it clear in that moment too that you're not going to explain it, <laughs> you know. Oh, and yeah. if somebody else wants to step in and 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 monkey around with that, that's fine. But I'm not going to explain a joke. And 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 the the people talking have to understand that the, it, the and again, I take this very personal. The more they pushed me on it, the more I react like you're trying to rub my nose in it. <laughs> and I'm like, no. The more you push me, the more I'm like, nope, nope, nope never going to do it. <laughs> now yeah. it's become a power struggle and I am not going to lose that. <laughs> now listen, but here's here's a different approach that I take. If I get 30 emails, 40 emails saying, yes. oh man, Dave, I did not get today's cartoon. Then I genuinely have to take a moment of self-reflection and go, what yes. did I do wrong here? Yeah. Like I did, uh, clearly I communicated something wrong here. Oh, I see. The setup is a little bit, nah, it's a little ambiguous or the, oh, the punchline right. doesn't really deliver or, oh, I needed another key word here to, to explain this a little bit better. And so if you do get a lot of, I don't get it, that's your moment, not publicly, but as a private self-reflection to go like, what am I doing wrong? What can I yeah. do better? Yeah. Um, 
But you don't need to share that publicly because it frankly just ruins the experience and, yep. and kind of reveals the little man behind the curtain of Wizard it comes, of Oz there. You it know? comes back to that old saying in web comics, you never listen to a reader, but you always listen to your readers. Ooh, that's a good, I never heard that. That's a good phrase. Yeah, yeah, that's, I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it's true. You never listen to a reader, but you always listen to your readers. Yeah, that's, boy, that's really true. Yeah. Ah, good point. And then, so uh, the one thing that I do do, I want to, uh, I want to um, uh, expand on a little bit. One of the things that I, uh, frankly, offer to patrons of Drive over at patreon.com slash drive <laughs> is that unlike on my regular site where I don't really comment on the strip of the day or the storyline of the of the moment at all on patreon i will go in depth on answers of people like why would this happen in the galaxy or why, right. why did the empire do this and frankly it's both fun for me as a writing exercise and valuable for the true patrons the true fans of drive to see the deep dives as to why the machinations of why the empire does xyz or why this alien race evolved this way stuff that doesn't impact the story per se but it's just fun to have the background of it's like if you could pull frank herbert aside and ask him a question about dune or pull J.R. tolkien aside <laughs> and ask him a question about um a lord of the rings it'd be fun to get some of this background detail that you don't need to know to enjoy why frodo is going to throw the ring in but it's fun to know the machinations of how the ring might have been made in the, yeah. in the volcano there you know that kind of thing um so I, I do provide that kind of stuff. And, and there are, in the course of those conversations, some course corrections or misreadings or misinterpretations. But it's more like in a friendly community sense than in a, no, 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 you're reading it wrong. This is the way to read it. That kind of thing. Now, if you're going to do it, do it right. Now, have you ever had this, Brad? I will. Let's be humble as authors for a moment. I have had people misread some of my comics, but their misreading has been like, oh, that's a better that's a better version of what I had. Oh, yep. That's, yep, that's, that's a much happened. deeper meaning than I had intended. But yes, that's that's the new meaning. That, that's, that's exactly what that. I intended. <laughs> yep, yep. I did mean that to be a parallel of World War One. You're right. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I did. That's like Pee Wee Herman getting back on his bike and saying, I meant to do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I did not expect today to have a Pee Wee Herman reference. That's great. <laughs> well, uh, uh, did you expect this? What I'm going to say next? You've no. been listening. Yeah, yeah, you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. I am flabbergasted that that's what happened because your hosts have been Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com, and get ready for this. You probably didn't expect it. The cartoonist of Evil Inc at evil-comic.com. Oh, yeah. Well, then you should probably expect this, that uh, your other host has been Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped and cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. Well, the most unexpected thing of the day is that our wonderful sponsors are over at Wacom at WACOM.com. Makers of uh, fantastic Antiques and Into Us. We thank them again for sponsoring the show. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode and all episodes was edited by the ever-delightful Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions. No surprise here over at www.woodsong.media. <laughs> And least surprising of all, Comics Lab is made possible by your support on Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So we're going to say that twice. Patreon.com slash Comic Lab.
Now, listen, Dave, first you put the berry white on and then you uncork the bottle. Now you hold should on, hold have. On, hold on. My, oh, wait, my pen ran out. Hold on. Let me write this down. Okay. 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 Yeah. Then I uncork berry, the bottle. Okay. Berry white. Uncork, cork, now uncork you the... should have some scented candles. Scented uh, candles. I've, okay. I've stood next to you a few times. Get extra strength. And <laughs> uh, uh, you're, you're like, you know what? In fact, I think we've zeroed in on your problem. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually. <laughs> does Febreze make a candle? I don't, does, I'm just does asking. Does Febreze make a candle? <laughs> Is there a flea and tick spray that comes in a human soap form? <laughs> 